Welcome to the Relaxed Running Podcast, the show that helps runners and athletes in running-based sports transform the way they run. Here's your host, Tyson Popplestone. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Relaxed Running Podcast. Great to have you here. I'm your host, as always, Tyson Popplestone. If you're new or here for the first time, welcome. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for checking it out. If you've been around for a little while, it's uh, ridiculous how many episodes I'm down now. It's like 208, I'm pretty sure, off the top of my head. I mean, I've got nothing in front of me to confirm that that's actually true, but I know it's around the 210 mark. So that's almost four years. I think next month it'll be four years since the pod- podcast began, and been an unbelievable little journey. Some of the um, some of the the greats in the sport, uh, especially here in Australia, a number of the the best distance runners and coaches and those surrounding the sport of distance running. I'd love you to get involved. I know I often lift, listen to podcasts quite regularly, and I don't think I ever uh, really reach out and leave reviews or uh, offer ratings or whatever else. But I mean, maybe I should because it's so helpful. So if you've been listening for a little while now, whether it's on Spotify or on Apple iTunes or or Apple Podcasts, I should say, uh, and you're enjoying it, would be so grateful if you could jump across and, and just leave a little review. Hopefully it's a five star. I mean, that's my that's my goal. If it's not a five star, don't leave it. Just, just keep it to yourself. But if you do enjoy it, if you've got value out of this podcast, it'd be really good. It helps with the rankings. Uh, I'm not 100% sure how the algorithms work, but I know there's so many more thousands of people that listen to this podcast than what actually leave reviews. And I mean, I'm, you're in good company. I do the exact same, but I'm going to take a spoonful of my own medicine and actually follow up on that and start leaving reviews on, on podcasts I listen to. Otherwise, I'm just a big fat hypocrite. But for today, I wanted to uh, mix things around a little bit. I wanted to uh, do, do a slightly different kind of podcast. Now, uh, as you're aware, most of the time, these podcasts are interviews with people in and around the sport of distance running. But from time to time, whenever I have an idea of something that I'd like to share, uh, something that's been of great value in my own life or my own running, I, I like to leave that with you. And one thing that I don't think I've ever done on here before is actually share with you a, a number of the most transformative books in the world of running that have transformed not just my philosophy around running, but my approach to training, my approach to racing, uh, just my general, um, sometimes just like my, my general beliefs are around so many different areas. Running is one of those sports, obviously, that seems to permeate every other area of our life. It, uh, it seems to be a really great teacher, as sport is in general, uh, about how to succeed just at whatever it is that you put your mind to. In fact, that's one of the things I love about running is you can't be a good runner without consistency, without a plan, uh, without clarity on what it is you're trying to achieve or where it is you're trying to go. And I mean, that's probably been the, the greatest lesson that I've ever taken from running. So with that said, there are there are literally hundreds and hundreds of books that could be included in this particular episode. It's taken me so long trying to get the list down to a reasonable list um for the for the length of a podcast so in the name of not just taking up your whole day going through every single running book i've brought it down to i think there's i think there's about nine or ten on this list i'm going to go through them in no particular order i've noticed with the list as well there a lot of these books with the exception of a few were were i think made their mark on my life when i was around 15 or 16 so it was interesting that at that time 15 or 16 my biggest goal my ultimate goal at that time was to to be one of the best runners in the world. And as a result, like any 15, 16-year-old kids, you, you just want to get stuck into the world of what it is that these athletes are doing. And I think part of what was so beautiful 
about a number of these books was, uh, so that was 20 years ago that I'm referring to when I was 16. I mean, the, the internet was alive and kicking, but it was dial-up at that stage. I'm pretty sure maybe wireless was just kicking in. I'm pretty sure at my house it was just dial-up. And the, the access to information that we have now on the internet just wasn't available, which made the access to some of the training information, the mindsets, uh, and, and everything else that we speak about in reference to these books so much more appealing. So I, I don't know whether sort of that nostalgic or that I've kind of romanticized how powerful these books really are, or they were just so powerful for myself at that time. But I'll let you be the judge. I was going to tell you uh, the nine or 10 books that I loved, why I love them, uh, when in particular I love them. And with that information, um, hopefully, if you're a, a bit of a reader, a bit of a fan of uh, just getting into autobiographies or little overviews of, of running areas or whatever it might be, you've got some food for thought. I'm not 100% sure. I just did a little uh, bit of a Google search as well and was amazed to see at how many of these books were were actually quite, quite um, they were niche. <laughs> I don't know what surprised me because at the time when I had my hands on them, I thought they were going to be the best-selling books of all time. But I mean, the nature of distance running is that it's a, it's a relatively niche sport as it is. And the best-selling running books don't necessarily appear on Amazon, though a number of these do. The first one definitely does. So with all of that said, let me jump into this list. We'll work through it. As I said, they're in no particular order, but I just wanted to go through a few of the reasons that these books were so inspiring and why it is that as a, an aspiring or an elite or wherever you are in between that as a runner, uh, why these might be a couple of good books for you to check out. So perhaps no surprise uh, for the first thought here is the book Pre. Now, if you've been in the distance running scene for any period of time, you're going to be well aware of the name of Steve Prefontaine. Now, Prefontaine, this book was, where, where do you even start with a story about Prefontaine? He was a mover and a shaker in the world of distance running in the sense that he kind of brought distance running to the culture. You know how a Michael Jordan makes Nike more than just a basketball shoe. He makes it something that it seems to cross over into the, the world in general. I mean, there's certain artists and certain athletes who seem to have that capacity. Now, I don't know that Steve Prefontaine was necessarily that when he was alive, but he, he died, unfortunately, quite young. I think he was aged 24 when he died in a car accident in Eugene in Oregon. But he was he was uh, fast or quickly becoming one of the greatest runners in the world at the time. I mean, he'd finished fourth off the top of my head in the 5,000-meter final at the Olympic Games in Munich uh, at the age of 21, uh, this guy, I think part of the reason he was so loved because he was a little bit brash. He was a little bit outspoken. He was he made running cool. He was happy to tell you exactly uh, what it was that he was trying to achieve. And he was the kind of athlete that he never actually wanted to go out and just um, uh, just win in a sprint finish. He wanted to, well, he had a famous quote. He, he used to say that uh, you, you might be able to beat me, but you're going to have to bleed to do it. And as a 16-year-old kid, 15-year-old kid, I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Uh, he had a reputation for every race, just going out from the gun and being a front runner and just trying to run the opposition off their feet. You knew that if you were going to beat Steve Prefontaine, uh, it was it was going to be an incredibly hard race. And that was one thing he wanted to make super clear about his racing style is that if you were going to win, it was going to be a really hard day at the office. I mean, the guy had a, a, a number of um, American records at the time of his death and uh, it's hard to say for sure whether we actually saw the, the best of, of Steve Prefontaine. He was also trained by the great coach Bill Bauman at a time when Nike was infiltrating the world of distance running. And uh, I mean, those two had a unique relationship. I think everyone with Prefontaine had a fairly unique relationship because he was just that kind of personality 
Uh, so the book's really good at going into not only his training and his mindset, his attitudes towards racing and training uh, and, and friends, but uh, it taps into the legacy that he left in the world of distance running. I mean, I went to Eugene in, what are we now, 2023? Oh, it was just last year, 2022. The World Championships were there. And, I mean, there's still paintings all over the town of Prefontaine. It's, it's incredible to see. Off the top of my head, I don't know any athlete that's made such an impact on a town or on the world of running as, as what Prefontaine has. Even though you've got athletes like Kenanisha Bakili, uh, Hisham Algarouj, David Rudisha, Paula Radcliffe, I mean, no one really seems, uh, their name seems to disappear at the moment that they get out of the sport. And it's only us running nerds, running fans that seem to hang around and love speaking about them. Prefontaine, go to Eugene, mention his name. He's known not just to runners, but uh, but to those in and around the scene. So uh, if you're after some motivation, some inspiration, I would, I would really encourage you to check out the book Pre. The second book is called, uh, it's either Greatest Distance Runners of the Century. I'm sorry, I've written down Top Distance Runners of the Century and it's thrown me out. It's either Top Distance Runners or Greatest Distance Runners of the Century. And again, this book was written in 2006 and it's just a, a, a collation of some of the greatest athletes in the in the world at the time. You've got your Hisham al even athletes from the past, your Brendan Fosters, your Paula Radcliffe's, your Daniel Comans, and... I mean, it's a couple of hundred pages. And once again, this is before the internet was doing what it is now. You didn't have things like Sweat Elite going to the towns and villages that these athletes were training at. So any information that you could get your hands on about these particular athletes was was really, really valuable. And this was like my Bible at the time. I'd have it next to my bed. And every night uh, before, I, before I went to bed, I would flick over to a particular athlete and just read through. And questions about, hey, what's your favorite training session? Why is that your favorite training session? What do you think is the most important thing about being a great distance runner? What's your thoughts on recovery? Who's the hardest opposition that you've ever had to race against? What makes a junior runner great? There's there's so many incredible insights that have just been boiled down to their essence that just to sit there as a young athlete or a running fan, uh, it's so inspiring and stupidly. I don't know what I was thinking. I went through a phase of minimalism years ago and it was a book that I, I had sitting on my shelf like like I often do. I go through phases where I, I have a, a whole heap of books. And I go, no, I'm going to be a minimalist. And I get rid of those books. And then five years later, in moments like this, I absolutely regret it. I mean, I'm, I remember my mum bought me this book in, it must have been like 2000. I thought it was 2005 I got it, but apparently it wasn't released until 2006. So I'm making stuff up. Um, but it was uh, it was like 20 bucks at the time. I just Googled it. Now it's... You can't get a copy for less than 150 from from what I can tell. I mean, honestly, I only had a relatively quick look. So you might be surprised. Jump on, see what you can find. I'm sure, you know, when people hear it on this podcast, they're going to be trying to find copies. So make sure you check that out. But if you've got a, a son or daughter who's really interested in running or they just appreciate the history of running, because a lot of these athletes, they're probably not going to know now, apart from the greats like your Daniel Comans and your Paula Radcliffe and things like that. Uh, this this book is is really really inspiring. I think yeah, mostly inspiring for for junior athletes. But truthfully, I mean, I'm 36 now. I've got no aspirations of running in the Olympics. Uh, even if I did, those days are gone. <laughs> but uh, but I know I would still enjoy sitting down and just flicking through the mindset of these athletes. It probably correlates beautifully to <clears throat> just developing my own education as a coach. But that one's a, a, a really incredible book. The third one is one which is a little more recent to me. I only read this in 2017 when I was living in London. It's written by a novelist or, or author, uh, Murakami. Uh, now, Murakami is a Japanese author. He's he's well known for, for fiction books like Norwegian Wood. 
Uh, but he also is a well-known marathon runner. Now, this guy is is not necessarily a great marathon runner by any means. He just enjoys the process. I think he, I think he took it up relatively late in life, off the top of my head. But anyway, the book's called "What We What I Talk About When I Talk About Marathon Running." And from my own perspective, as a lot of you guys know, I'm a stand-up comedian. When I'm not here, I'm really interested in the world of creativity. I've got a lot of respect and admiration for great writers, whether it's people like Stephen King. Um, you know, with the insight that he gives you on books like On Writing, or if it's a bloke like Murakami. I just, I like to know what it is that athletes do to help ideas um, uh, uh, just be digested and help, uh, you, you know, sort of filter an idea or a draft down into what turns out to be a really awesome book. And I mean, I'm very biased because of the fact that this guy is not only an awesome writer, but he's also got an incredible appreciation for what the marathon is and the importance of being out there training. So uh, a really different take, not necessarily a book that you'd read for, uh, you know, training advice around how to improve or how to run a really fast marathon. Uh, But in terms of just appreciating the event of the marathon, I think it's a really inspirational, really encouraging, really eye-opening book. Uh, And as I said, from my own perspective, just being able to tap into the world of creativity and what one of the greatest writers of our time does to help ideas sort of, uh, you know, just filter through whatever process it is from being in his mind to on the page is, is, is really inspiring to me. So that's one that I sort of flick through from time to time. I've got it on my Kindle every now and then when I remember to charge my Kindle, I'll, I'll have a flick through a few of those pages. So that one is what I talk about when I talk about running. The fourth book is one called Train Hard, Win Easy, The Kenyan Way. So obviously, as I mentioned, like in 2005 or 2006, there weren't a whole heap of channels like um, like Sweat Elite and the like, which go into these places and actually find out what the best runners in the world were doing. And at the time, back then, I think there was a lot of mystery around the Kenyan training technique. What was it that these guys were doing uh, that were making them so good? Was it simply the fact that they're Kenyan? Was it altitude? Was it diet? Was it running training? Was it a combination of all of these factors? That's what this book in particular tried to get to the bottom of. So it was uh, based in Kenya. It was set in Kenya. And those answers were trying to be discovered. I think it's, um, I think one of the most amazing parts of being a distance runner is that you can never get to a point in your distance running career where you go, oh, okay, I've got all the answers now. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you speak to the greatest runner in the world or someone who's been doing it for 30 or 40 years. No athlete ever goes, no, no, I, I know the answer now. And if they do, they're, they're, very, they're narcissistic or they've got like some personality disorder that won't allow them to be honest with themselves and admit the fact that they, they definitely do not have all of the answers. And so part of the fun of being an athlete, part of the fun of being a coach is tinkering with training and playing with ideas and playing with nutrition and playing with distance and speed and recovery, uh, intensity and footwear and clothing and uh, race surfaces. I mean, the list is endless. And it's it's what I love about stand-up comedy. You never get to a point where you're like, I've just nailed it and I can do that well every single time because uh, the nature of the game is that each and every time you get out there, Different factors are going to have to be navigated. You're going to have to play with different environments, different temperatures. Uh, I mean, insert whatever it is you want to insert in that conversation. Uh, So many of them change from race to race and from day to day. So to be able to tap into these guys and hear what they think is making them so successful, it's it's almost just like another little, um, what do you call it, a notch in the belt of, of potential helpful resources that can help you transform 
you're running. I mean, that's my favorite thing about running, just the constant delving into um, all the information that's available and just hearing what works for different athletes. Because the truth is, some athletes, like a Cam Levens, the Canadian marathon runner, seem to do really well or have done well at times in their career running 300K a week. <laughs> um, some athletes like, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, it's like Tashiniko Seko, a marathon runner from Japan back in, I want to say the 80s, running like 600K a week from time to time. You hear that and you go, okay, that's never going to work. But he was good and it did work for him for a period of time. Uh, so just trying to boil all that down and go, okay, what the heck do we do with this information is that's that's so much fun for me. I mean, I could talk about that all, all day long um, and I would still only be scratching the surface. The next book I want to look at, oh, okay, this is, this is potentially my favorite running book of all time. Now, my wife has no interest in distance running. She doesn't see the appeal of it. She doesn't see what I love so much about it. She'll go out and run because she has to. She loved this book. All right. If you know my wife, that's <laughs> that's a huge statement because anything to do with distance running doesn't usually get her up and about. This one is by Lopez Lamont, the autobiography, Running for My Life. One of the most inspiring, just insane books that I've ever read. For, for those of you who don't know, I want to say he was Sudanese. Uh, he was a Sudanese refugee, escaped or was taken from a refugee camp by a foster family, or he was adopted by an American family from this refugee camp, came from Sudan. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's where he was He was being housed at that time. It was either there or Egypt. I get confused because one of my mates I used to run with spent a lot of time in Egypt, also Egypt, uh, a Sudanese runner by the name of Dua Yoa. If you're here in Australia, I'm sure you're familiar with that name. He was a great runner about five or ten years ago. On the, on the national circuit here. But anyway, the, the story of, and I think that uh, very fact gives me an appreciation for the Sudanese story. So many of the athletes that fled from war and, and the dangers and just the in insanity that took place in some of the villages over there uh, was, was really inspiring and um, it definitely gave me an appreciation for this guy. But just the fact that he'd, he'd gotten out of a, a really poor village with not much going on uh, in his career. He was adopted into a family in America one of the craziest stories in the book was on the flight from Sudan to uh, the United States, the flight attendant kept coming up to him and asking, would he like something to eat? Was he thirsty? Was he hungry? Uh, can he get a Coke? Whatever. Uh, he was like, no, 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 thanks. I'm fine. I, but he said, I was just too embarrassed to admit that I couldn't afford anything that they had. And he found out on the car ride home with his new uh, adopted family that everything on that plane was free. And he's like, are you kidding? Like I was, he just couldn't believe that, um, you know, there were things like food and drink like that that were available to someone like him. He said he got off the flight and he was so hungry. His um, he, his new family said, "Hey, we're going to take you out. We'll get you uh, we'll get you something to eat." So he said they took him to one of the most incredible restaurants that he had ever seen, where you walk in and they had like infinite options on the menu. He just couldn't believe it. He didn't know where to start. So uh, his his foster parent uh, came up to him and said, "Hey, uh, look, I'll order for you. This is going to be a good one. This is where you start." He said it was it was only months later that he found out this incredible restaurant was called McDonald's. And uh, I think he ordered a Big Mac and a Coke or something. But for him, it was it was just a, a, a in, insane experience. In fact, I remember it, it's just hard to comprehend that that lifestyle, isn't it? I, I might have told you this on the show before, but I remember going to training one night with Dewey Yoa and him saying to me, like, "Oh man, I'm so hungry." And this was a Tuesday, and I go, "Oh, dude, what have you had to eat today?" He goes, "No, I haven't eaten since Sunday." And I go, why? It's like, man, I forgot. And he kept saying, yeah, us, uh, he always said to me, he's like, yeah, us black boys don't need food like you fat little white boys. 
And for me, it was just the funniest thing because he, he just gave me so much crap about the size of my quads and the size of my biceps and how it'd be much better uh, uh, runner if I just took advice from a black guy like himself. He's <laughs> the way that he phrased it. So I always appreciated that. But uh, yeah, it's just a, it's just like a clash of cultures. That was the, that was the coolest thing for me. So uh, this book gives you a real insight into the clash of cultures um, and, and just his story as an athlete as well. I mean, I want to say he's run like 1250 for 5K. Uh, just incredible. Um, I mean, if you're on the edge of wanting to adopt uh, any African child, uh, this book's going to push you over the edge. Me and Jesse discussed it for a couple of years after that and then had our own kids. I'm like, far out, this is, this is quite intense. <laughs> Let's figure out how to do these two kids first before we have those conversations. But um, running, for, running for my life, unbelievable book probably my favorite of all time uh the next one is autobiography of brendan foster brendan foster was a uk runner um in the 70s he was one of the best in the world at the time incredible runner what i liked about this book is brendan foster and i until about age 17 we were on par in terms of pbs so his book was great because at the back of the book it had all his training like his weekly structure from about the age of 16 to 20 which i absolutely loved and more than that, it actually gave you a little bit of an idea of his progress. So I constantly turned to this book to go, okay, like where was he at, at age 17? Am I anywhere near it? Is there hope for me to improve my running? Uh, he was sort of my inspiration uh, uh, next to Benny St. Lawrence here in Australia that you can develop as a relatively, uh, or, or you know, like a late teenage kind of early 20s athlete, which is obviously very true. But at the time, I didn't know that. So um, if, if you are a 17, 18-year-old kid out there, and you're wondering, can you do it? I would encourage you to get your hands on this book because uh, his progress is, is really inspiring. Uh, I've got three more on the list. The, the third last one is called Why Die? Uh, it's a book about Percy Serity, the, the coach of so many running champions, namely uh, the great Herb Elliott. So where I'm sitting right now, I am sitting in my office in Point Lonsdale, about 5Ks that way. You go across Port Phillip Bay. Um, there's a place called Portsea. And Portsea is renowned for its really big sand dunes. Uh, and, and so many of Percy Serity's athletes uh, uh, were known for just going up and down and around those dunes. He was known as a little bit of a nutcase, quite eccentric with his approach to running training. But with the champions that he produced, you had to pay attention to what it is that he did. Uh, he seemed to have a real appreciation for stripping back training to its, to its raw essence. So, okay, like this is going to be hard and it's animalistic and we're going to do it for as long as we can and only the strongest athletes will survive. And then at the end of it, people like Herb Elliott come out of it and you go, okay, well, there's, there's definitely something there. Uh, unbelievable insight into the life and mind of a guy called Percy Serity and how champions were, were produced in his vicinity. Second last book was one called The Unforgiving Minute by, by Ron Clark. Now, this just follows the journey of Victorian runner, which is my state here in Australia, Ron Clark, who was, um, I mean, I don't know how, I think I want to say he had like 18 world records at one stage. He was, he was the, the, the best going around in like the 60s. He was an unbelievable athlete. And it follows his journey from a club runner all the way into one of the best the world had ever seen at the time that he was running, the times that he was. Um, I don't know if I've overcredited him with world records there, but I mean, I, I, it, it was up there. He was, it was high quality. Uh, I like this as well because it, it, it just looks at a number of trails that, I've run myself here around Victoria and as a real running romantic and a bloke who's fairly sentimental and nostalgic about pretty much everything in the world, namely, or well, especially running. It was, uh, it was really good to hear about the life of this guy. And lucky last, um, 
to round us out, I don't know if this is number nine or 10. This one is called The Perfect Mile. Now, it was looking at the journey of uh, Roger Bannister, John Landy, and Wes Santee. Uh, I think I've got his name right there. Wes Santee and their pursuit to break the impossible four-minute mile barrier in the early 1950s and just what that journey actually looked like. It was it was really interesting just seeing how the book was compared to where the athletes were at certain points in their career, where they were going to have certain attempts, and how close they all were to each other. Um, I, I think it was really interesting, especially as we get so close to this sub-two-hour marathon um, or like a legal sub-two-hour marathon attempt. Well, Kipton's run two hours and 39 seconds now, so it's just around the corner. Uh, I mean... That's that's next four minute mile, isn't it? I remember being fifteen, going, okay, I don't think the two hour marathon is is ever going to get broken because that's like a six minute improvement on the world record, which just seemed wild. But they just keep doing it. Technology keeps improving, training keeps improving. Oh, I don't want to say it because it sounds a little bit dodgy, but I mean, there's a number of people getting pinged for for drugs. So I mean, uh, the doping <laughs> keeps improving. I'm not. I definitely am not saying that to say that anyone who's breaking world records are on the juice but i am saying that um you know as technology improves every part of technology improves so take that to mean what you will i'm just stating facts i'm, I'm not pointing out anything that none of us know um but uh as a result we're seeing a whole heap more athletes run a whole heap faster but um, i feel like i've i feel like i've just left you on a little bit of a sour note and that's a uh, i don't want that to come across as bitter or cynical it's it's just a reality unfortunately but um, hey, they're, they're some of the most amazing books, some of the most inspiring books that if you haven't read, check them out. I'll do my best to link them in the description to this episode below. Uh, if you want more from me, Relax Running, you can get that all over at relaxrunning.com. If I can be of any assistance to you with your running, your coaching, regardless of what distance or sport you're training for, reach out. We'll, uh, we'll line up a meeting, uh, or be that on Zoom or over the phone, depending on where you are, and we'll, uh, we'll see how it is that I might be able to help you best. But for now, happy training, and I'll see you all here again next week. Thanks for listening to the Relaxed Running Podcast. If you're ready to become a faster, more efficient runner, visit www.relaxedrunning.com.